Welcome to Unfolding Words. This is episode 21, Circumstances Don't Define Your Identity. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and every week I share biblical truth that offers light for your walk and life for your soul. We sing a song at church that I've been humming all week. It's just been in my heart. It's called Who You Say I Am by Hillsong. And the lyrics start out, Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. And the bridge says, this is my favorite part. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And I'm noticing a trend in this podcast is that songs seem to trigger the subjects for my episodes, which works out great for me because I love music. But this song reminded me of the Old Testament story of Mephibosheth. And I've been thinking a lot about identity, our identity in Christ, and how we can hold fast to who God has called us to be. And the story of Mephibosheth is a great example of how God transforms our identities with his kindness. And the story is in 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 13. And many times when people um, teach out of this scripture, they talk about David's kindness to Mephibosheth. And I'm going to talk about that, but I really want to focus on the identity of Mephibosheth and how it was transformed by the kindness of David. So I'm not going to read all of the the verses, but I'm going to read verses one through, let me see, three in the ESV version. And it says, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Years prior to this, David the king had made a covenant with his friend, Saul's son, Jonathan. And if you remember that, their souls were knit together in love and they loved each other greatly. Um, Their friendship was built on love and kindness. And in this covenant, he promised to Jonathan that he would not cut off his love for his friend. He would not cut off his faithfulness to Jonathan's descendants forever. And years later, David still remembered that covenant and he was looking for someone of the now forsaken house of Saul. Saul had been killed along with his son, Jonathan, in battle. So he wanted to find if there were any descendants who he could show kindness to. David had peace in his kingdom and he had time to sit and reflect. And this is what one of the first things that came up for him. And the word kindness in the Hebrew is a word has said. It means covenant love or steadfast love. And it really points to the love that God has for his people. And it's used three times in this passage in Second Samuel 9. David mentions it three times. In verse 1, he says, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness or has said, that I may deal with him in a has said way? Verse 3. Is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And then verse seven, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. So we know this is a major theme in this chapter. 
And so David summoned Ziba, Saul's former servant, and asked that question. Is there anyone left that I can show covenant kindness to? And I just want to add that this word has said is basically translated as love. It describes a love that is more than just an idea or a feeling or a fleeting emotion. It's instead it points to a sustained action. It's love backed by action. And you could say that Hesed is a kindness with hands and feet. It's a love that shows itself and it's undeserved and unconditional and it cannot be repaid. And Ziba said, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. I found it interesting that Ziba doesn't even bother to name him. Instead, he identifies him by his circumstances or his handicap, his weakness, his lameness came up in Second Samuel chapter four. And when Jonathan and Saul were killed, the family, their families fled. And as they were fleeing, Mephibosheth's nurse dropped him. And that's how he became lame in his feet. But when Mephibosheth came before David, the king called him by name. I love that little detail, which is key because no one of royalty had called him by name since the death of his father and grandfather. Mephibosheth was not considered an option to take the throne after the death of his grandfather and father. Instead, he was passed over for his uncle Ishabeth. And David asked Ziba where to find Mephibosheth. And Ziba revealed to him that he was in the house of Maker, son of Emil in Lodabar. He was living in Lodabar and he was living in someone else's house. He had no household of his own. He was living also off of the kindness of another. And it would have been sort of a shameful state for someone who was once royalty to be living just willy-nilly off of someone else. Lodabar means no pasture. And this is indeed the state in which Mephibosheth was living when David found him to show him kindness. And isn't this what God does for us? He shows us grace in a place where we may not be with we're in a place where we may be without pasture. So Lodabar was a town in Manasseh, Manasseh, in the portion of the land that was east of the Jordan. And this is the same territory where Ishabeth had tried to set up his kingdom in opposition to David. And Mephibosheth stayed there, living in a sort of shame and disgrace that had come upon him and his family as a result of his father's and grandfather's death. And 2 Samuel 9 and 5 says, Then the king King David sent and brought him, that is Mephibosheth, from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Can you imagine the royal caravan arriving at the doorstep of his home there in Lodabar, that lowly city, that place of no pasture? It must have been a sight to see neighbors looking out their windows, wondering why royalty was show up at this no names house. I'm sure Mephibosheth was even shocked that they had stopped in front of his house. David never mentions Mephibosheth's lame feet when he meets him. He never mentions the conditions in which he's living. He never mentions the fact that his father and grandfather are dead. There's no record of that for that for us. Instead, David does the unexpected. He upholds the covenant that he had with Jonathan by taking in and adopting Mephibosheth. 
David restored all of Saul's land to Mephibosheth and provided him with a number of servants under the guidance of Ziba. David, upholding this covenant, stretched out this um, promise from generation to generation because the promise wasn't just to Mephibosheth. It was to his son, Micah, who we can imagine was without any privileges with a father who was lame. The promise made to Jonathan to David was to be for David to never cut off Jonathan and his family, even when David became the unrivaled king. This promise extended beyond the living parties to their heirs, which is such a beautiful picture. The promise was given that Mephibosheth's grandson would have bread to eat. Verse 10 says, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him. He was speaking to Ziba. And shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson, Mephibosheth, may have bread to eat. So Mephibosheth would live at Jerusalem as royalty and Ziba would cultivate Mephibosheth's estates and he would value the produce for his master and cultivate it so that he would have a source of income. Now, Ziba himself had 15 sons and 20 servants or slaves. It's clear that he was thriving off of Meshibapheth, even though he had once been a slave in Saul's household. So he may now have had several wives of his own and had become a person of considerable importance. But he would now become Meshibapheth's farmer. Think about what that would have done for Meshibapheth, who was a lowly nothing. So Mephibosheth was exalted to a place where he could be a father whose legacy wouldn't just be that of a lame son who couldn't provide, but he would now be able to provide a legacy for those who were coming behind him. His identity was no longer a poor citizen, but one who would have someone serving him. This was good news for him, but bad news for Ziba. I love that God did that for him, that he totally transformed his identity and his stature in such a short amount of time. And Second Samuel 9 and 11 says, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So Ziba couldn't argue with the king. He couldn't say, you know, I've been living high on the hog for years, and then you're going to come and turn around and make me a farmer for this lame man. He couldn't say anything except, okay, Lord, according to your word. And so just like that, Mephibosheth is brought from the ghettos of Lodabar to the king's table where he eats like one of the king's sons. And, you know, it's easy to let circumstances dictate your identity and your direction. Like Mephibosheth, we're all sinners who have been wounded and crippled because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Like Mephibosheth, you are crippled. It may be a crippled heart, but you're still crippled. He had crippled legs, but it's crippling all the same. Maybe your lameness comes in the form of a sin that trips you up constantly. Maybe your crippling is worry or anxiety, a failed relationship, trouble with finances, sexual abuse, domestic violence. The list goes on and on. It's so easy to flee when you fear punishment, just like Mephibosheth, like he fled to Lodabar with his nurse's help in fear of death. 
Like Mephibosheth, you may fear returning to where you belong because of your lameness, because of what's crippling you. The palace where King Jesus lives is where you belong. But often the thing that trips you up can keep you from going back to the very place that you know that you're supposed to be. And maybe you don't know you're supposed to be there, but God knows you're supposed to be there. And he's going to constantly be calling you back to the place where you are and reaffirming your identity in him. Now, when Mephibosheth was a child, this when he got crippled when he was five. But imagine he was free to roam the royal palace. His father was royalty. His grandfather was royalty. So he was free to approach the throne freely because of who his father and grandfather were. But Mephibosheth found himself himself off in Lodabar in hiding. He was fearful of being murdered following the battles that took his father's life and led to his grandfather taking his own life. Like I mentioned before, Lodabar means no pasture. Also, no word, no communication. Mephibosheth essentially sought refuge or stayed put in a barren land when he had royal blood running through his veins. And isn't this often how it is with us? We try to hide from God. We go to our own Lodabars. We can create our own Lodabars, our own places of no pasture where we're not being fed. And it's a place where we may not be find ourselves in the word daily because of our lameness or what's crippling us. And when you don't pray and seek communion with Jesus, like Mephibosheth certainly felt, we can find ourselves in a place where we've lost communion with God. When, but God is constantly seeking to bridge that gap with us time and time again. And like David, God calls us out, constantly reconfirming our identity and highlighting our royal line. God has honored and blessed us with the promise of eternal life. He invites us to feast at his table in his kingdom perpetually. That points to our position and our identity. And God does this not because of any merit of our own or any righteousness that we have of our own, but for Jesus's sake. So Mephibosheth went from Lodabar, the place of no pasture, to the banqueting table in the presence of everyone. Everyone saw his identity change from a no one to one of David's sons. So basically, he went from nothing to royalty just like that. He had a seat at the king's table, which was a place of royalty. He went from being an outcast to a beloved son, just like that. Psalm 23 and 6 says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a promise for us, similar to the promise that Mephibosheth had with David, except his was an eternal's and ours is. So today, think about what is crippling you, what is clouding your identity Circumstances don't dictate your identity. It doesn't matter what you've been through, what you're going through currently. You are a child of God. You are who God says that you are. You're chosen. You're not forsaken. Like the ver- like the words of that song, God is for you. He is not against you. You are who he says you are. And if you need a reminder, push play on that song and sing it over yourself until you know that your identity 
and your circumstances are not equal. Circumstances don't dictate your identity. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. Please make sure you're subscribed and please rate and review. There are links in the show notes for Apple and Stitcher listeners and repost on social media with the hashtag unfolding words. I love seeing people who listen and I look forward to joining you next week. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.